the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today we're going to finish Stranger Things 2. We're going to finish that part of the series. We're going to be looking at a couple of different things. So just to recap... What happened in the first week of Strange Things 2 is we'd connected with the end of the first series because that's what every good TV series does. A recap from the time before. We looked at the book of Daniel. We were going through Daniel for Stranger Things 1. We ended with this idea that actually there was this entanglement between heaven and earth. These two things were interconnected and that what Daniel saw was a glimpse into things that were going to happen that hadn't yet happened because an angel had seen these powers fighting in the heavens he saw the prince of persia getting moved to by greece and then greece taking its place and then in history what happened the persian empire fell and the greeks came in their place so daniel had this capacity to see into a realm we don't understand it's from this that the apostle paul actually says that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood but against the powers and the principalities in the heavenly places he says don't spend your entire life taking out all your frustration about what's in front of you what you can see because the flesh and blood of the situation isn't always the most important thing to be dealing with or to be fighting with and then Jesus also talked about it he said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven there's this kind of mechanic where these two things are entangled with one another we also looked at quantum entanglement which is this idea where you can have two like particles that are entangled with one another it doesn't matter about the distance for there to be an interaction so always uh, with physics it comes down to distance about the pull of gravity between the force electrical currents and things like that it's always orientated around distance but with quantum entanglement distance is no longer the relatable factor these two things are entangled with one another and no matter what state or change happens to one it then automatically happens with the other one simultaneously irrespective of any distance which is like what daniel sees irrespective of the distance there's these two states entangled between the two and actually when we look at prayer and we look at jesus and when he says i'm giving you the keys to the kingdom that's what he said i'm giving you the keys i'm giving you authority whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven so then we started to look into a few of these different things we started to look at actually there are ways that we find ourselves entangled with god and actually last week what we were looking at is the way that jesus entangled himself with us and how at the beginning of the series he talked about the vine i am the vine you are the branches and he talks about his father pruning but then he also talks about his father locking bits off now those bits some of us we get upset about that passage in scripture because we're like it's like god's brutal god's ruthless and he's throwing things into the fire but actually he's taken the branches that have already chosen to die and have already died and turned brown and they haven't chosen life they haven't chosen the gift that he's given they're rejecting the life-giving flow flowing power that is coming from the vine so jesus talks about you can do nothing apart from in me and he talks about being this provision for us so this week we're going to be honing in on an incredible thing that happens when jesus dies on the cross so last week we talked about the entanglement of us and him and it's the how he becomes what the new testament writers call the propitiation for our sins the the exchange he pays the price that he who knew no sin became sin itself that jesus died on the cross he rose again they had this understanding of first fruits Paul used to say, if the first fruits is holy, the rest is holy. He talked about Christ being the first fruit from the dead, that if the first rises, the rest rise. So the understanding is then that 
the, the, the faith and the belief in Jesus' resurrect, death and resurrection is that if he is risen from the dead, I will rise from the dead because he is the propitiation for my sin because the wages of sin is death. It's sin that kills us. So when we look at science, you can go into, I know I read a fantastic book about 13 things that don't make sense. And one of the things in there was talking about death. And there was an angle on how death is for evolution and also against evolution. That in some circumstances, it doesn't make sense to fit in with the theories that we have that are relative today. But death is a strange one because we still don't know why we die. We still don't know why cells die. We still don't know why, even when they've tried to genetically tamper and edit cells, they thought initially that they could find the elixir of life by removing certain um, things and changing certain things in the genetic code in our DNA that can cause us to live forever. But they found themselves still hitting a cap where it would repeat itself, repeat itself, repeat itself, but after a certain number of times, the cell would still die. We don't know why we die. We don't know why we die. We don't know why cells die. Sometimes we think about old age and things like that. It doesn't make much sense. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we're going to look at a few fun things around that. So today we're going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel 27 verse 45. If you've got the City Hill London app, you can open the Bible on there and read from the ESV the same as me. Or if you want to read from somewhere else, knock yourself out. Not literally. Verse 45, Matthew 27, verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sekbathani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But then others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah turns up to save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened up and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised to life and they came out of their tombs after his resurrection and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There's a couple of things that I want to look at today and a couple of things that I want to pick up from. Like, if you've been watching Stranger Things, if you haven't watched Stranger Things, has anyone been watching Stranger Things while we've been doing the series or not? Yeah, we've got a couple of people watching Stranger Things. I love Stranger Things. Now, if you, if you plug in a Stranger Things, one of the things you see is that it all stems from this one tear, this one tear, this one split between these dimensions in, 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 interconnecting with one another. That when the tear is there, that's when the Stranger Things happen, when things start coming through the wall, when the creatures start appearing, when people start getting taken, all those kinds of things. Now, in this passage, when Jesus dies, there is a tear that takes place that is quite a significant one in the Jewish tradition. So to get a bit of understanding about what this curtain is, so like when you go from the Bible and you're reading this story, depending on what knowledge you have will depend upon how interested this is. And you have to ask questions. If a writer puts something there, it must mean something. So the fact someone dies and a curtain gets ripped is blatantly not someone saying like, Auntie Doris was sitting, having her tea, and then as Jesus died, the curtain on covering the windows tour and she was like oh yes he must have been the son of God must go to Wilco and get some cheap new curtains to replace those 
That's not what's happening. That's not what's going down. This is a significant moment in their in the Jewish people's history. This significant moment actually in our history, and it's a significant moment for you and I today. So Jesus dies on the cross. This curtain tears. Now the curtain we're talking about is sixty foot tall. Sixty foot tall. So we're talking ten times my height. That's how tall it is. And it's not only is it pretty wide, I think it's about 20 foot wide, but it's also around about four to six inches thick. So basically, if a Roman centurion had gone in there and he had drawn his sword and he proceeded to hack at the curtain, he couldn't get through the curtain. Like, if you fired a bullet, it could just about get through it. Do you see what I mean? So when the writer here says the temple veil, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, it's not talking about the curtain in your living room. It's not talking about the curtain because none of you have four to six inch thick curtains. None of you have curtains that are 60 foot tall. This is a huge thing. This thing doesn't break. And when it breaks, it never breaks from the top to the absolute bottom. So there is nothing left to connect it and to hold it in place. This isn't the kind of thing that they were used to have happening and so for this to happen when Jesus died meant a lot to them it meant a lot to them because of a number of different reasons Hebrews talks about um, Jesus being like a priest that goes in on our behalf before God now what they would have is once a year one priest would be chosen and it would be the high priest and he would get the opportunity to go into what they called the holy of holies it was an area of the temple where no one was allowed to go in and one person went in once a year. And when they went in, they had to dress a certain way, they had to do a certain thing, they'd have been up the whole night before, um, repenting of their sins. They'd be trying to think of sins that they didn't even know that they committed, that they could repent of. They'd go through everything in the law to try and be right with God. They would wear these bells on the robe. They had bells attached to the robe because the people outside wanted to know if the person inside was still alive because no one is going in to get the body. Do you know what I mean? So it's either like you leave the body in there till the next year when the next guy goes in like they want it they want to hear it's not in the bible but it's in the rabbinic tradition that actually people were so scared about going into this place that in the end they started to tie a rope around the waist and at one period around the ankle of the high priest so that when he went in once a year to make atonement for everyone else's sins they were like well if he dies i'm not going in are you going in they're like i'm not going in i'm not going in you well we've got to think about it because if he doesn't get things right with God and then he goes in to make atonement on our behalf and he drops dead because that's what they thought. They thought you make a mistake in there, you're dead. Like they didn't joke about it. They had a reverence for God. They had this this fear, a holy fear of who God was and they wouldn't go in this space. So this guy had to have a rope tied around him and if the bells stopped, if there was no jangling, if jingle bells ended, someone's getting pulled out. Like he's getting pulled out. So this is the space, this is the curtain that protects the people and keeps this separation for this space where they believe that God would dwell among his people. So the idea in, in, in Moses' time when they had the tent was, this was the Holy of Holies in the tent, the tent would move everywhere with them, wherever they stopped, it would stop. And then when they settled in Israel, in David's, time, David's first temple and then the second temple under Solomon, this one space was a space that, that no one would ever go in, no one would ever go near, no one would ever, ever mess with and for their understanding that this was where the presence of God was among his people and so in 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 this story the fact that when Jesus dies it tears from the top to the bottom it's a number of different things in their in their culture and in their time 
when a father would lose his son and his son would die, they would tear their shirt. In this moment, it's almost as if God is kind of saying, this is my son. And this is my son who's died in your place. And there's this sense of mourning that God would kind of like as a father, that Jesus spoke about him being, tearing his shirt. This moment of grieving, this moment of pain. And then the other flip side of it is that this is this holy place where apparently the Spirit of God would dwell among his people and then it's torn from top to the bottom and it's almost as if God is making the suggestion that I'm not going to live here anymore. I'm not behind here anymore. This isn't where I want to be anymore and I'm kind of done with this. Alfred Edersheim, uh, a Jewish convert, an actual descendant of a, of a high priest as well. Um, he had this to say in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, uh, one of the greatest scholars on, on, in the Christian faith. He said, The veils before the most holy place were 40 cubits, 60 feet long and 20 foot wide, of thickness of the palm of the hand, and in, wrought in, 20, in 72 squares which were joined together. And these veils were so heavy that exaggerated that in the exaggerated language of the time, it needed 300 priests to manipulate it. If the veil was at all, such as described in the Talmud, it could not have been rent twain by a mere earthquake or the fall of a lintel. Although its composition in squares fastened together might explain how the rent might be described as in the Gospels. Charles Spurgeon said this, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom so that big sinners like me could fit through. A.W. Tozer, he made the case and point that the veil may be removed in the temple, but then he, he pointed to another veil. And it's that veil, I guess, that I actually want to talk about today. In the beginning of Genesis, you have an account of God taking the dirt, creating a man, breathing life into him, and you have man becoming a living person, Adam and Eve. And you have a moment of sin entering in, death which is what the whole point of the cross was about, was about bringing man back to God, that we might live and not die, that we may live a life whole and full. Jesus said, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. He's come to give us life to the fullest. He's come to give us a life that doesn't fade away. And in that moment, they're cast out from the garden. They're separated from God. And then the whole rest of the Hebrew Bible is a journey to come back to this moment, to come back to this point. And what happens in the story is when Adam and Eve take of this fruit, they are aware of this nakedness. They lose something and nakedness in their culture, the Hebrew culture throughout the whole of the Bible's history means shame. And so they're left there with the shame of their sin. And what they do is they try to hide in the bushes. They go and take fig leaves and they try and cover up. They try and put this separation between their shame and their God. And there comes this moment where it says in the cool of the evening when God would meet with them and spend time with them, he comes through the garden and he's saying, Adam, where are you? And God isn't asking a question going, Adam, hey, my GPS is off. Uh, you're the greatest hide and seek champion. Well done. You found the one spot on the whole planet. I can't find you. Where are you? He's saying, where is the Adam I knew and loved? Because he said, when you take this fruit, when you disobey me, when you go here, you die. And the Adam he knew died in that moment. And so Adam is here and eventually he comes out and they have this conversation about his nakedness, about his shame. And he starts talking about, well, why are you in these fig leaves and, and all this? And what happens is Adam doesn't get left in the fig leaves. God goes, a sacrifice is made for their sin. And then they're covered in the skins of this animal. It's like a veil between them 
and God. And you see, the thing is, I think as Christians, so often we can talk about the veil being torn in two and we can talk about having access to God, that we can connect with his Holy Spirit in the most extraordinary ways. And we can encounter God in the most extraordinary ways because I know because I've encountered God in the most extraordinary ways and felt his presence. And, and I feel like today this is a gospel that our generation needs more than any other gospel because everyone is saying that they're feeling more lonely than they've ever felt before. But the point of this is God saying, I'm not going to live among you. I'm, not, I'm done with tents. I'm done with the temple. I'm done with being, being behind this curtain. I'm tearing through because I want to live in you. I'm going to live through you. And he talks about us being, do you not know that you are temples of the living God? temples of the Holy Spirit. And when he says you, he doesn't mean individually, he means pluralistically that we all have access to him, but we are one and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what he talks about in the New Testament. But I want to get back to Adam and Eve in the garden because actually, although for us as a generation and for those of us who believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, we have this opportunity to encounter Holy Spirit and to be intimate with God in a way that we could never have hoped or dreamed, the truth of the matter is, We're still doing what Adam and Eve does. We're still trying to put a veil between us, which we're holding up. You see, the thing is, my guilt, my sin, my shame, and my pride on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis cause me so often to go, God, you know what? I don't want you having access to me in that way. And instead of God putting the veil there to keep everyone alive in his presence, I put a veil there because I don't want to experience the change that he wants me to experience. Because I'm still scared like Adam is hiding in the bushes. I'm scared of my sin. I'm scared of who I am. I'm scared of who God is. I don't say it. I don't say it, but I am. And you know what it is? It's a deep subliminal thing that I don't believe sometimes that Jesus' sacrifices on the cross is enough. That's what it says. When I take the attitude to God of I'm not going to bring the veil down, I'm not going to... I'm not going to talk to you with the realness of God. This is me. This is who I am. This is what I've got going on in my life. This is what I've got going on that's so wrong and so messed up. This attitude, this mindset, my mentality, the way that I am a part of the systems of this world that are so ungrossly unfair, Lord. All these things about me and my mentality and me first and what I want and and all I-centered, Lord. All those things, it's like a veil that's just there. And then what happens is, I end up living a life filled with pretense. You see, so often we'll talk about like the crazy sin, like hardcore drugs or like abuse or attacking or murder or stealing. We'll talk about all these types of things. And these are the things where we'll do it. But like the everyday veils that you and I will put between us and God. And yet we'll pretend to live like a Christian life of, of unity and intimacy with him. I feel like so often, yeah, the veil has been torn in two, but you and I just keep putting other ones in the way where we're going, God, just not in this area. Like, God, we can have this relationship. I just want you to know, here's my disclaimer on all the things and all the areas I don't want you to go. All these areas I don't want to let you into. And then you and I have the moment, the audacity where we go like, God, why am I so unfulfilled? Why am I so unhappy? Why is my mental health through the roof? Why do I feel so alone when the Holy Spirit is supposed to dwell in me? Let me tell you something. When you allow and invite God in to live in you, Loneliness isn't an issue anymore. That's a fact. I'm married, and in marriage, you can still feel lonely. Jody will feel lonely. I'll feel lonely. My kids will feel lonely. There's four of us. We'll feel lonely. Let me tell you something. When I remove the veil and I allow God into my life, I don't feel lonely. 
This is coming from an only child. At a young age, I knew the Holy Spirit in such an amazing way as a kid and in my teenage years and in some of my adult life and in periods. And this week, as we, I was looking at doing like, how are we going to finish the Stranger Things? How are we going to cap it all off? And I thought, well, last week, yeah, Jesus, he forgives of our sins and he does all this, but he does this that we could have life and life more abundantly. He does this because Adam and Eve had something and they lost something and they were naked because they lost something. In Revelation, it talks about them being clothed in the glory of God. It's because the Spirit of God is with them to the point they are clothed in His glory. They lost that glory. They had just shame and nakedness. You and I live in shameful and nakedness lives where we live our whole lives for a like, for an appreciation from someone on some media platform where they've never cared, as opposed to when God lives within us and we're whole and we're complete because just like Jesus, He says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And there's wholeness and there's completeness and there's healthiness in it. I'm going to pray for us today and we're going to have a moment. And actually we can pray for one for another as well at the end because it's the last Sunday of the month and the last Sunday of the month, that's what we do. We pray for one another because it's a cool thing to do. If, if you don't want to pray, you don't have to have someone pray for you. You can just say it, it's cool. Nothing's forced. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your love towards us. I thank you, God, that actually on the one hand, Jesus, the propitiation of my sins, I thank you I'm forgiven. I thank you like the New Testament writers say that boldly I could approach the throne of grace. <laughs> the throne of grace? That's in the Holy of Holies where one guy used to go once a year wearing bells and a rope around his waist because he was so scared he got one thing wrong, he'd die. And yet boldly I can come to that. I can come into your presence. But Father God, more than just coming into your presence and, and encountering you in that way, I thank you, Lord, that actually you're done with tents. I thank you you're done with temples made with stone. I thank you you're done with all of that because you want to live in me. You want to live in us. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is there because actually there's a loneliness epidemic, but there's actually more of you to go around than anyone could ever want or need. I thank you, God, that you are more than enough that there is no amount of money someone could give me that could fulfill my problems or solve it, but yet you can solve all of it. I thank you, Lord, that you can help us to feel more alive than we ever thought possible. I thank you, Lord, that we can encounter you and receive something worth giving. Peter encountered someone who was lame and they were begging for money because of their disability. He said, gold and silver I have not. Here is what I do have. In the name of Jesus Nazareth, get up and walk. And they were healed. I thank you, Lord, that you are able not only to complete us, but able to flow out of us by your spirit and make others whole around us. I thank you, Lord, that so many times, God, I look at myself and I see something so disgusting, but you saw something worth dying for. I thank you, Lord, there isn't a person here today or outside of these walls or anyone on this planet or who's ever lived that you didn't look at as worth shedding your blood for. I thank you that what you achieved on the cross can forgive anyone of their sin. I thank you that you didn't just die, but you rose to life. And if the first fruit is holy, the rest is holy. And I thank you, you didn't just go to the right hand of God, but you sent the helper, Holy Spirit, to be with us. And that actually, if we don't want to remove the veil in our hearts to let you in, because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit now, then we're never going to truly experience and live the Christian life. Father, everyone here is accountable for themselves. I'm not. I'm accountable for me. And Father, I just want to take this moment to say, God, I'm so sorry for the veils I've raised in my life. God, I'm so sorry that I've kept you at a distance that I'm so ashamed that throughout human history, no one else had the opportunity that I've had 
until 2,000 years ago when that veil was torn in two. Father, I'm so ashamed that I've been given that opportunity, but just like the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, they saw Moses light up and they were all scared and moved away. God, I don't want to be scared moving away. I want to boldly come to the throne of grace. I want to encounter you for all that you are, God. I know that so many of the problems that I have and experience are because I have put veils in the way. And God, I just want to tear that veil down in my heart and make room for you, Lord, that you can come and that I can experience you anew through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray for those today that also feel the same way that you would meet with them by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the stranger things. Thank you, Lord, that you tore the veil, that you made a way through your own flesh, that we could be whole and experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Yeah.